Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. When you think of the word Afghanistan, what does it make you think of? Located at the crossroads of Central Asia and Southern Asia, it's dominated our headlines for the past 40 years. And when you consider what we've read in the news since 1980, it's hard to believe that back in the 60s, Afghanistan was part of the hippie trail. In fact, I just recently reread Dervla Murphy's book, Phil Tilt, where she rides her bike from the UK to India in the early 1960s. And I came in with just her love of everything about Afghanistan. And it sparked an interest in me about, you know, what's it like to be there now? Uh, so I'm really excited to talk with Joe Sheffer. He's the founder of Safarat Travel, which is a new Afghanistani tour operator. And his goal is to bring people to discover his love of Afghanistan. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I think it's really interesting with all the stuff we're hearing in the news these days to hear about someone who's opening a tour company in Afghanistan, because I was I was surprised when I first read about what you're doing. Um, can you maybe explain how you got to the point of starting, you know, a tour operator in Afghanistan? Sure. And um, so my background is professionally in journalism. Uh, I, I worked as a photojournalist for over a decade. I've worked for CNN. I've worked for NBC News. I've worked for the Guardian newspaper in the UK, uh, mainly in the Middle East. But uh, I also found myself living as a freelance journalist uh, in Afghanistan in 2013. It was at the point where I think the international community had started to give up hope. It was a point where uh, American troops and international troops were being slowly withdrawn from the country and the onus was going back uh, towards the, uh, the Afghan government and them being in charge. Um, and then since then, and over the last 10 years, I've continued to travel back uh, with work. Um, and it, it's always been a place that fascinated me. Um, so I've recently reached a point with uh, journalism um, and we haven't all day got all day to talk about that which I feel uh, frustrated with it. I feel that it's a frustratingly closed world. And so my idea was um, that I would open up my contact book uh, to give travellers access uh, to people and places that tourism tourists don't normally get, uh, that only journalists get. Uh, and I'm encouraging people to come uh, on our trips and think of them as a piece of slow journalism and to challenge maybe some of the perceptions uh, of places that they've only uh, read about maybe in the New York Times or, uh, you know, only seen on the, on the TV. And what I'm really inviting people to do is to tell Afghanistan's story. Uh, and I want to do that through Afghan voices. Uh, I want uh, on our tours, uh, as we would in a documentary, we're going to engage with local people. We're going to go and stay with them. We're going to go and uh, live with them. Uh, we're going to visit places like uh, Helmand's, which, of course, is where huge numbers of, of U.S. troops were wounded uh, and international troops, British troops as well. I'm, I'm from the United Kingdom. We'll be actually be camping in, in one of the districts uh, really that is considered the graveyard of British soldiers in Afghanistan and hearing people about the war uh, and what it was like during the darkest days of what they call an occupation and more so what life is now like uh, in Afghanistan. The way you, you phrase that, it's about people sharing the stories, like people, like citizenship, citizen journalism. And it makes me think, a woman I know was just down in South Africa, and she came back and mailed, you know, hundreds of us about what she'd seen on the ground in South Africa. 
And, you know, when people have been to a country, you know, they come back and they start talking about that country. And it, it's, I hadn't thought of it, but it's a different way to share information of somebody goes there and they can bring back what they've learned and what they've talked. A lot, a lot of travel, though, you never interact with locals. Like, I remember there's a quote that uh, a lot of travel is, you know, the, the guests are, are like pieces of luggage. They're put inside buses, they're moved around, they never interact with anything around. Yeah, it's truly horrible. It's, it's truly horrible. <laughs> uh, you're, you're trying to change that by getting people to actually learn about the stories and learn about the people and hear from, you know, different people who experience it instead of just, you know, reading a guidebook or reading a, a newspaper. I think we've reached a point uh, where all of us, we, there are endless sources of information that we can get. And, and the mainstream media, of course, they they serve a purpose. And, I, and I'm not going to disrespect my colleagues who I still work. I still work as a journalist and I still work in television. But I, I think we've got to a point where people have so much information available to them. And it gets to a point uh, where they want to see things through their own eyes. Um, I originally thought of this idea um, after coming back from Ukraine. I've spent a lot of months in Ukraine this year. I, I came back home and had arguments with people in, in bars or, or in pubs about what was actually going on in Ukraine. And I actually ended up t saying to a guy, well, I'll take you there. I'll take you to Ukraine. I'll take you to the front line. If you don't believe me, there's no reason that you and me can't go. There's no special privilege. There's no journalist license that anyone issues you. And this idea actually came from there. But I thought, let's take people to places they wouldn't normally consider going with an interest in learning and understanding uh, these places. Um, and, and that's really how the, the company was born. Uh, we're not actually going to be taking people to any front lines and we're not going to be taking people to the front line in Ukraine. It's definitely not for now anyway. But uh, with the fall of uh, the internationally recognized government in uh, August, uh, August 2021 came the opportunity, uh, a place that I've loved for a very long time. You know, I've been I've been fascinated with Afghanistan, you know, since I was a teenager. You know, I was a, a curious 12 year old when 9-11 happened and I've watched and followed the whole story. I spent my whole life, I feel, uh, following Afghanistan's story. And I'd like to share some of that passion um, with other people uh, and offer a safe and you know, in-depth way of, of, of traveling. And, and so that comes right to, you know, the first thing that, that comes to my mind is there must be a lot of challenges just in doing business in Afghanistan as, you know, uh, a, a British person and, you know, probably a British company. But also then when you're bringing foreigners into Afghanistan, it must get even more difficult with security. What are these challenges and, and how do you how do you deal with them? Well, it's a challenging neighborhood. Um, and, and if it wasn't, Afghanistan would probably, I think, be the jewel in the in the crown of, of Asian tourism. Um, and it, it's terribly sad uh, that Afghanistan is, is in the state where we have to talk about it like this. And it has everything. It's rich in colour, it's rich in culture, it's terribly ethnically diverse. It has everything that Central Asia has. It has everything that India has. You know, it's that real mix of cultures that, you know, there's always places that are interesting are always that mix. And it also has a real wild feeling. There are safety challenges for sure. Um, there are cultural problems to deal with. I mean, one of the key cultural problems that we're having, you know, is building rapport with local communities um, you know, I'll give you an example. We recently rocked up in a village in Helmand. We turned up. Uh, there's an ancient calaver, an ancient castle uh, that we were interested in visiting. And they 
the local people came out and they said, oh, the Americans, we, we haven't seen you since we haven't seen you for about 10 years. You know, what are you what are you doing back here? We said, oh, no, you know, we're not the Americans. Uh, we're, we're tourists. Uh, we're here as tourists. And they said, well, what's tourism? You know, and why? What are you doing here? Kind of suspiciously. Uh, and we said, well, we're here to see you. We're here to meet you. We're here to talk to you. Your village is very beautiful. And we're here to see this ancient color, this ancient castle. And they said, uh, well, nothing really to see here. This this castle isn't interesting at all. It's just a load <laughs> of old mud and rocks. Now, now, what are you really doing here? And what is the idea of this tourism thing? So that's the kind of base level that we're dealing with. Um, and especially doing what we want to do. We don't just want to bus people in, drive over local people, say, here's the castle, put them back in a bus. and get. We, we want this to be an interactive experience and we want it to be ethical. We want local people to benefit. We want to start developing homestays and things like that. You know, there is no Afghanistan without the Afghan people. And so um, that that is a, a difficulty um, that, that we're having to work through. But I suppose there are other questions. You know, what are the moral implications of visiting Afghanistan or a tourist? as a tourist? You know, is this in poor taste? Um, is it voyeurism? Are we dressing up uh, war tourism? And that's before we, you know, get to the, the most obvious question that is always the first one um, people ask is, is it safe? Uh, you know, is, is safety a problem? The direct answer to that is yes, that there are still safety challenges. Afghanistan is in some ways recovering. Some people would argue otherwise, whether it's recovering, whether it's going in a good direction or not from 40 years of uh, war. But people might be surprised to hear that, that generally speaking, the security situation in uh, Afghanistan has improved considerably since the Taliban took control in, in August 2021. There is there is limited insurgency to, to, to talk of. And a lot of the uh, places that we are traveling and that we are interested in and the places we're interested in talking to people are in that Taliban heartland, that, you know, the Pashtun South, uh, places like Helmand, places like uh, Kandahar. And for us, we're there with the uh, blessing, if you like, of of the Taliban, you know, we are licensed uh, by the Taliban. Effectively, we're there with their permission. We're not sneaking around. We're not special forces or anything like that. You know, we're being very open and honest about what we want to do with them. And therefore, I consider the risk, the security risk uh, to our group as as manageable. It's, it's a manageable uh, risk for us. So the biggest risk for us and the biggest challenge actually as a tour operator um, is the risk of uh, probably being uh, involved in a car accident or a, you know, some kind of serious incident like that. Um, the medical facilities in Afghanistan are basic, to say the least, you know, trauma rooms, those kind of things. Uh, levels of urgent and emergency care can be almost non-existent. Um, so we've spent a lot of our time working with specialist insurance companies, um, specialist crisis management companies to make sure if, you know, if the worst should happen, we have a plan for it in the same way as the New York Times or someone like that would have for its journalists to get you the best possible medical care. But that is the real challenge. Um, you know, despite all those things, you know, they, they all sound negative. You know, I would say that Afghanistan is, an generally speaking, an incredibly welcoming, hospitable country, and, and particularly in the south, 
where this culture of Pashtun Wali, you know, this Pashtun culture, uh, or you could even describe it as law, um, is dominant. It's, it's a fiercely entrenched set of values, um, which extends to the protection of guests as a key belief, and one which, in my experience, is, is fiercely adhered to. It, it, it's interesting, you know, one thing I've noticed in the last few years is, you know, places that, you know, were off limits and, you know, no one would go to, all of a sudden they can just switch. And I think of, you know, people going uh, into Syria, people going into Iraq, you know, first it was in uh, Kurdistan. And even recently I've seen people that are, you know, going back into Baghdad. And, you know, often it it, it takes, you know, these, these wars, you know, we have 40 years of wars essentially going on in Afghanistan. So we're conditioned to thinking, oh, this is a really dangerous place. But as it starts to change, it takes a while for us to realize that, oh, things are changing there. And, you know, maybe this is a, a place we can now go to. Um, one thing I was interested in is you talk about working with the Taliban. So what's it like working with the Taliban? Why do they want to work with you on this? So I'd say that we're not working with the Taliban. I've got to be very clear with you on that. You know, the Taliban regime, the Taliban government, whatever you, you know, we are not advocates of the Taliban. Uh, we understand that there are a huge number of, of problems with the Taliban. I mean, it's always one of the first things that people bring up is what about women? You know, how can you be taking people to Afghanistan on, on you know, on holiday when half the people uh, in the country are so oppressed? The truth of the matter is that uh, the Taliban control Afghanistan. Um, we may not like that. Uh, we may not uh, like their uh, policies, but we're required uh, to work with them if we want to operate in Afghanistan. Um, so we obviously need to take a, a, our local partners. Uh, Nuri, who's my, uh, my my partner in Afghanistan, obviously has to deal with the Ministry of Tourism. You know, there are those kind of permits that need to be taken uh, from the government. Um, but I think that the most interesting thing probably about our journeys that we're offering is often the interaction with the Taliban. There are places that we are required for security reasons. And to be honest, I'm not really sure if it's for our security or if the Taliban are nervous about us being there. I think maybe somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, so there are places in Helmand, you know, which is really, as I said, the real heartland of the movement, the real heartland of, of resistance was the heartland of resistance to, uh, you know, international intervention and international troops. There are places that we require a Taliban escort. First things is that those people have had absolutely no interaction with foreigners before. So for them, it, it's it's fascinating. You know, I'm, I'm a military age uh, male. And uh, for them, I'm, I'm something that they've only sort of seen from a distance. And suddenly there we are riding in a car, sharing tea, you know, sharing whatever snacks we've got in the vehicle. And, and you see this change in, in these young guys. You know, some of them are 18, 20, 22 years old. They've never traveled outside their district, never mind Afghanistan, and they have absolutely no idea about foreigners. And for me, it's just incredible to see this change over a series of days from in the beginning, like, whoa, you know, who's this evil foreigner? What's he doing here? You know, what does he want to see? Is he spying on us? You know, he wants to take photos. What's going on? Tourism? What's the idea of this? To this gradual level of acceptance that this isn't a soldier. This isn't an NGO worker who's coming with, you know, and he wants to impose something on us in return for, for a project. There's no money involved. And you really see that these young guys, 
how comfortable they are and how willing they are to share with you and, and changing through the day, you know, through the time they spend with them. And I think that's one of the most interesting uh, parts of, of our interaction uh, with the Taliban. And I, I've actually started to call that uh, moving the dial. And it's one of the key things that I hope to achieve in Afghanistan. And I, I don't for a minute think I'm going to change Afghanistan. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not on a one man mission to change Afghanistan. But many Afghans, particularly in rural areas, you know, they've never had the chance to engage with foreigners. And, and I just hope that our trips, uh, you know, our travelers questions our, and our discussions can also benefit Afghanistan and maybe fractionally move the dial on the way the people think and see and think uh, about the outside world. Uh, I, I totally get why uh, many Afghans remain sceptical of the motives of, foreign, of the foreigners they've met. Um, the past has taught them that, you know, there's a very strong correlation between the arrival of outsiders in your village and impending disaster. Um, and, and I really mean that. Um, but I, I just hope it in some small way to, to change that. You know, it's interesting. I always think of travel as it's great to get rid of the traveler's prejudices. You know, you go to a place and you have a preconceived notion of what this country is going to be. And then as you're there and you interact, you realize that, you know, what you'd you know seen on TV or, or read in books or news isn't isn't actually what the reality is. I'd never thought of the impact on the people that are living there, meeting people from abroad when you go to these less visited places you know, they probably have a, as you say, they have a, they have a view of, you know, British or American or Canadians or, or Westerners, which we're all much better than we appear in, in the news. And they're like, oh, these people actually, they have the same fears and worries and needs as, you know, we, we live in different places, but we're all humans and share the same kind of core drivers. And just imagine if the only foreigners you'd ever met always arrived in armored vehicles, were always armed or always in body armor. You know, these were these were the kinds of things that these villages have seen for the last 20 years. And the other thing is that these foreigners were always there vouching for a government that they saw as illegitimate um, and corrupt. So you can understand why they're nervous uh, about foreigners. Uh, and you can see why one of our key challenges is actually convincing people that we are there fundamentally to do no harm. You know, and that's what has to be uh, the, the core tenet of our business. If people ask us, you know, about the ethics, if people ask us about whether people should be traveling to Afghanistan, I, I think you have to, we have to sort of think about the mantra. We need to be at the very least be doing no harm and preferably be, be you know, benefiting the local people. Definitely, definitely. I, th I think that that's such a great approach. Um, you have two tours right now, a 15-day tour and an eight-day tour. Can you just maybe share, like, what's the difference in these tours? What do people kind of see on each of the tours? Sure. So we are running two tours uh, at the moment. Uh, we're actually about to, to launch a third one on our website, which I'm very, very excited about. And I'll, I'll tell you about in a minute. And um, so the first one is a 15-day uh, uh, tour. We're calling it uh, Past and Present from the Timurids to the Taliban. And it's really a deep dive, a, a sort of journalistic deep dive uh, with a historical lens um, into Afghanistan's recent past. Uh, but also how its ancient history uh, influenced that. We see the same things happening again and again in Afghanistan's history. You know, empires coming in, uh, imagining greatness, building and, and leaving monuments 
um, essentially to their failure. Some of the ancient monuments to failure, I think, are, are much greater than the, the ones that our, our country um, have left. Um, but effectively, we'll be we'll be setting off round uh, Highway One, um, which is I would say is one of the greatest monuments of the Soviet occupation. Is is this is this highway that runs uh, from Kabul in the north? It, it runs to the south through Ghazni. Uh, through Kandahar city, through Helmand, and and then runs up uh, the uh, west of the country to Herat, and that's br- vaguely the route that we'll be following. So we'll be we'll be starting uh, in in Kabul, which is obviously the capital. Um, we'll be hitting um, some of my favourite places uh, probably in the country. I lived in Kabul for a long time and probably know it best of any of the places. Uh, in Afghanistan, we'll be doing something uh, called the Wall Walk, which is a hike above Kabul, which I, I absolutely love. It connects Balahisar Fort, which is uh, where um, originally the British uh, in the what the first uh, in some of the first uh, Anglo-Afghan war, uh, they were based there. Uh, it's called the Balahisar, uh, which I think is a wonderful name. Um, and we'll be crossing to Babur Gardens, which is uh, the the gardens uh, built for the last uh, Mughal emperor Babur. Um, and again, t- two magnificent sites connected by an ancient wall across this stunning mountain uh, with Kabul all around. So we'll be starting off in Kabul. We'll then be heading south to Ghazni. Uh, Ghazni is a very interesting uh, city. It's also a city that I have personal history with. I, I was there in uh, 2014. As I was embedded with US troops there at what was then called Fob Warrior. Uh, it was a it was a base that had Polish and, and American soldiers on it. Uh, I remember very well being mortared there. I remember coming under attack there with US troops. Um, I've got some pictures on my website of, of the artillery going back out uh, from, from that uh, forward operating base. Um, but there's also there one of Afghanistan's most ancient sites. Uh, there, there is a, a Buddhist site there, um, which is thousands of years old. You know, Afghanistan, of course, famously uh, was the, the sort of furthest west, the, the furthest place west that Buddhism uh, arrived at. Uh, from there, we'll be heading south. Uh, on our way south, we'll be driving through Zabul, uh, again, a place sort of linked intricately with uh, the poppy uh, industry and the heroin industry to, to Kandahar. And Kandahar really can be thought of as, in some ways, the real capital of Afghanistan. It's, it's definitely the Taliban capital of Afghanistan. Uh, if you want to understand Afghanistan, you, you, you need to be, Kandahar is a place you need to visit. Uh, and in Kandahar, we're hoping to get out the city a little bit and do something that I would have thought ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous a few years ago. And we're going to go and visit the Argandab Valley. Uh, and the Argandab Valley is uh, the birthplace of Mullah Omar, the, the spiritual leader uh, of the Taliban. It's a place where coalition troops fought huge battles, huge, huge battles uh, in the past and is now a place of relative peace. There's pomegranate orchards and we're invited uh, by some local people that we've kind of formed a connection with. And we, we're going to walk through the villages. We're going to walk up the Argandab Valley. Uh, we're going to camp there and we're, we're going to hear about these people's experience, uh, what life is like for them now, uh, how things have changed. Um, and, and most importantly, understand uh, what life was like, you know, during during the war for them. From there, we'll be heading uh, into Helmand, uh, again, a place, an incredible place in the context of the war, a place that has seen so few foreign visitors and probably to Afghanistan's greatest, uh, one of 
most impressive, I should say, historical sites. It's a place called Bosky Kala. Um, it's a it's a fort uh, in in Helmand, nearly seven stories uh, in height. It's it's a mud uh, of mud construction. We'll be heading there, and and from there we are hoping to visit uh, probably the greatest the greatest piece of uh, theatre left by uh, our own nations, uh, which is Camp Bastion or Camp Leatherneck, as it was known to American troops. We're going to hopefully be able to take you and see what is left. Uh, of uh, Af- the sort of one of the biggest air bases uh, in Afghanistan, you're going to be able to see what was what's been left over, the, the sheer volume of waste, the sheer size of that air base that supplied uh, what was then called RC South uh, Regional Command uh, South, the, the American-led uh, coalition uh, military. I'm so interested by that air base. I'd never thought actually about like what was left. But an airbase is huge. Like, you know, they must have had so much infrastructure. It's a concrete city. It's a concrete city. It's billions of dollars, maybe. That's, you know, probably not very useful if you're not flying fighter jets. Billions and billions of dollars of concrete. Of and there, there, A lot of it, there, there is very little there left. But in fact, the, the, the starkness and, and the lack of anything is actually one of the most impressive things. You think all the money that was spent, all the money that was invested uh, in Helmand and all that is left is, is bleached concrete uh, sitting in the desert sun. Um, anyway, so I, I kind of lost, lost my train of thought. But we'll be then moving um, further to the west. We'll be visiting Herat, which is, of course, Afghanistan's cultural capital. And from there, we'll be crossing in a very... Um, I suppose, a wild route back to Karbal across the central mountains. Uh, We'll be having to camp uh, through that region because, um, you know, effectively it is so remote. We'll be stopping at another wonderful site, a place called the Minaret of Jam. Uh, It's it's a sort of ancient minaret uh, in Afghanistan's uh, interior. Again, a place that in a a province called Ghor that I I only dreamt of visiting a a few years ago. It just would never have been possible. Uh, We'll be stopping back on the way home uh, in Bamiyan, which is, of course, one of uh, the few places that tourists have been able to visit in Afghanistan for the last few years. Of course, the site of the the famous Buddhas uh, that were blown up by the Taliban in 96. And then we will be dropping you back in Kabul. So that's our first itinerary. Is that over eight days or is or is that over 15 days? That's the, the longer itinerary. And one thing I would say about Afghanistan is, of course, you know, the, the distances are huge. I mean, it's it's a huge country and these distances are large between them. But And one thing I hate is I hate, you know, I hated this while working for CNN. And I think this is the part of the news industry that you don't see is that, you know, journalists spend a huge amount of time, you know, we'll spend 24 hours driving somewhere to do a five minute report and you'll see this great report and you'll think, wow, I, I wish I could be there. Um, but the truth is, you know, you spend 48 hours tumbling around in the back of a pickup truck to get this, uh, to get this story. And, and sort of midway through my career, I thought, I don't want to do this. I don't want to spend any more time in land cruises. So I've been very conscious uh, with these itineraries to try and make sure that there are places that we can stay in the middle. I mean, we're there to see Afghanistan and, and there's a great problem with overland travel that, you know, you, you drive through a place and you get to the next place and you think, well, what do we do now? Well, we drive to the next place. So we really try to think about places that you can sit and enjoy the countryside to take in Afghanistan, to see, to smell, to taste the atmosphere as opposed to just driving through on a bus. I love that approach. Your eight day trip 
Is it, does it go to some of the same places or is it a totally different? The eight day trip we're calling Introducing Afghanistan. It's, it's an introduction to the country, uh, mainly focusing on Kabul and Kandahar, the two biggest cities. We'll also be stopping uh, in the middle in Ghazni that we, I, I talked about before. But more or less, it follows the first uh, itinerary uh, of the uh, first of, of the first trip for the first few days. Again, you'll get to go to Bamiyan. I think it's a great introduction if you're kind of curious, if you're kind of short on time. Then I, I think it's a great introduction to the country, and we'll really pack a lot into those eight days. Um, and I, you know, I, I wanted to tell you, we just actually had confirmation of this today, and, and I'll be heading back to Afghanistan in the next couple of weeks. Um, and we will be offering um, in, in travel to Nuristan this summer um, it's a mountainous uh, region in the northeast of um, of Afghanistan uh, it, it's a place that nearly no outsiders have visited probably more or less forever um, it's a place of high mountains um, it's a place where Islam didn't even really enter until fairly recently so we're going to be ent- uh, we're going to be opening up a hiking a nuristan hiking uh, itinerary soon so please watch our website um, i think we're going to be really the first people to do that and i'm i'm so excited about it i i can't tell you that sounds incredible now listening to these types of trips who's the right type of person to go on this because it sounds like this is not something that my 80-year-old parents would be a a good fit for who have heart issues and hip issues and, you know, aren't that adventurous. But like, you know, if you were to say, who's going to love this? What what type of person are they? I think the word uh, adventure is is, uh, is sometimes problematic. And first things first is we don't see ourselves as an adventure travel company. Uh, I'm sure the people who are coming are going to have a good dose of wanderlust, but we're not an adventure travel company. What we're interested in is is I'm interested in traveling with people. And and I I feel that I'm serving as a guide and and, uh, offering people a window into my world. But I want this to be collaborative and I want to learn from people and I want to chat with people. So, you know, my my friends hate this, but what what I'm looking for is interested and interesting people uh, to join me uh, on on, on a journey. Um, You might have already read about Afghanistan in the news. Maybe you've um, been inspired by a book or a film. We've had people already who work with Afghan refugees and are sort of interested in their stories and want to learn more. Um, But Fundamentally, you want to see things through your own eyes because you're curious. And what I'm really hoping is that, you know, we're going to do these trips together. We're going to sit down. We're going to discuss what we've seen. We're going to think a little bit about uh, what we've done. Um, And yeah, learn from each other and really sort of increase our knowledge and increase our understanding of Afghanistan. Uh, That sounds, you know, the best trips I always think are where you're with people that you can have those types of discussions with. Often it's it's family, but also, you know, there are times you join a tour a tour with other people and it's just like a bunch of super interesting people. You're like, I never meet people like this in real life. I'm going to guess the people that decide to go to Afghanistan are going to be both interesting uh, and interested because it's not like going to Bali for a week where you can sit on a beach. This is this is a harder trip than others that it'll it'll self-select the right people into it. I hope so. Yeah, I think there's always going to be people who want to tick a box. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there are a lot of people now who have an aim of visiting every country in the world. Um, I get it. Um, And they're very welcome to come. And, you know, everyone is welcome. As as long as you're curious uh, and, you know, you're there for the right reasons, then then you're very, very welcome. 
And and then looking longer term, you know, what are your goals in terms or, or what are your hopes maybe for how Afghanistan develops? You know, you're at the very start of this, you know, the first green shoot coming out of the ground for tourism. Is this something that you hope, you know, you start a wave of, of tourism that, that returns to Afghanistan? I think at the moment I'm kind of serving as some kind of unofficial uh, Afghanistan tourist board. Um, look, there are still huge challenges. Um as I said, you know, Afghanistan has the mountains, it has the deserts, it, it, it has the food, you know, and I think it's it's the kind of thing that Afghanistan could really benefit from. I mean, tourism is such a great way of, of, of places. You've got to remember that Afghanistan is one of the, the, the biggest problems in Afghanistan is that, you know, when the international community left um, in, in August 2021, you know, they, they picked up and went. And, you know, the, the biggest co- consequence probably of that collapse was the withdrawal of these hundreds of international projects of NGOs and bi- businesses. And it's left such a huge void in the Afghan economy. Um, it's been so dependent on foreign investment since 2001 and, and, and before then, to be honest. And, and I'm telling you that there, there is not a family or barely a family, you know, particularly in, in Kabul, who hasn't been touched about uh, touched by this in, in one way. Um it's one of my main goals is effectively to put cold, hard cash, you know, into the pockets of, of uh, our Afghan partners. Um, they're people that we've worked with for a long time. Uh, they're people that I, I've worked with. They've lost their jobs. They're often the breadwinners for 20 or 30 people. Um, and yeah, I, I do think that this could be a, a great thing for Afghanistan moving forward. Like I said, the security challenges remain. Um, I, I hope they continue to improve. Um, I, I'm slightly sad that uh, I'm the one who has to say this uh, and not my partner, my business partly, uh, partner, Nuri Kodatullah, who, um, you know, I loved for him, would have loved uh, for him to join me today and put it into his own words. Um, but, you know, he, he says it very eloquently that there are these storm clouds still on the horizon in Afghanistan that, you know, people don't quite understand, you know, are we in the middle of the storm? Is this the eye, on the, eye of the storm or, or, or are things settled? But people need to work. You know, people need the outside world. You, know, you can't just isolate yourself. And, and I really hope that, you know, Safarat, um, you know, ends up as, as, as a positive, a positive force in Afghanistan. Uh, what 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 a great way to to end this chat. And uh, I think it's super inspiring. Just, you know, this way to educate people, with travel, the way to bring outside ideas into Afghanistan to help, you know, rebuild the economy. Uh, if you want to check out these tours, you can go to safarat.co, that's S-A-F-A-R-A-T.co, or on Instagram, instagram.com slash safarat.co. Uh, I'll also put those into the show notes. Joe, thanks for coming on the uh, the podcast today. This was super great. Thank you so much. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to have some Yemen itineraries opening up soon. I'm, I'll, I'll definitely come back and talk to you about them. Yemen and Afghanistan, I'm telling you that they are going to be the, the hot uh, tour. I think we've got a peace deal coming in Yemen this year. Uh, word, word is on the street in, in the journalism world that the Saudis are about to sign a, a deal there. So I, I hope to be back talking to you about that soon. Oh, I can't wait. Yemen's on definitely on my bucket list. Um, and with that, thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures.
Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.